Welcome back to the Hindsight Podcast. My name is John, and as you can tell by the title, I finished Euphoria. About freaking time. <laughs> it took me, uh, took me a minute, but I, I, I watched season two, like, really fast. Season two is really good. <laughs> like, I, I pretty much watched the entire season, and, like, the span, it total time, like, two days. Like, I binged the first half while in Nigeria. Like, I had that first half downloaded. Then I binged the second half, like, a couple days ago in the morning because I couldn't sleep. <laughs> so I ended up getting it finished. I uh, know we're gonna talk about it. We're not gonna do just like a review of the show. Cause that's that's not what we do here. We haven't done a mood talk in a minute, so maybe if you're if you're new to the podcast, you don't know how we do these. But they're not just reviews. Because I never wanted them to ever be just reviews. I really like you know like be that like OD high school teacher English teacher that like takes something so simple and tries to pull out so much stuff out of it. Yeah, that's what we do. And so what we're doing is I figured the best way to like kind of do that to, to really go in depth on this was just kind of just like hit each character individually. I kind of just like mini character pieces on each one. Not every single character. I just picked the main ones. At least the main ones to me. Uh, and yeah, that's how we're going to do it. So we're going to start with... <laughs> I, mean, I guess I just I literally have no idea who I am. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't really like a fan of Cat that much in the end. And I say in the end because like in season one, that was cool. There was like a character, you know. Like, I understood her, like her arc as a character, her character arc. You know, so she went from like really insecure about herself to being really confident and owning who she is, uh, or at least like it looked like that. But at the same time, I'm not really sure that's that's what happens. I can't really say that's what happened from my point of view. Because like in season two, she seemingly didn't do much. You know, she was always just like with Maddie, and you know, was definitely just like a like really like a side character for real, for real. But she, she really didn't have any thoughts of her own. She was just kind of like Maddie's yes man, right? And I, I think this is like what her character really became in terms of like the actual euphoria worlds, like, the actual, like, person of Maddie was essentially that, right? Like, she never really became herself or, like, her own person. She never really had any of her own thoughts. She just did what Maddie did and, like, what Maddie told her. Like, she never actually made her own decisions. You know what I mean? Like, like she she would go to Maddie and essentially Maddie would make the decision for her. Like, not necessarily directly, but, like, that's essentially what would happen. And like, like this is very prevalent when it came to the whole like relationship with Ethan. Ethan was dope, by the way. He, I, he's not a character I'm going to talk about, really. Or I have a little piece on, but I, I liked Ethan as a character. He was great. <laughs> but but when, it, when it came to their relationship, right? Like, was she unhappy in the relationship? Yeah, that that's how she felt, right? Even though Ethan was an awesome and amazing guy who, at least from my point of view, genuinely loved her, like, that's not what she thought love was, if you get what I'm saying. Like, she thought what Maddie and Nate had was love because that's what Maddie called it. She called it, she called it love. Like, that's, that's love. And in a sense, she just inherited 
that same viewpoint, like that same, uh, that same definition of love, I guess you could say, right? It's like what she wanted was that toxic relationship with a bunch of dom- drama because like, that's what she defined as love. And Ethan wasn't that, he wasn't, he wasn't giving her, you know, that, that, I guess that level of energy, <laughs> I guess you could say, but the way she broke up with Ethan, all right, that's what put her on my very, very disliked character list, right, because that was a straight up low down, right, like if, if you're, if you're a hindsight veteran, right, then you know about, like, the old first impression series that we don't do anymore, <laughs> but, uh, in, in one of those episodes, those ones where I do like the live reactions just uh, to movies and whatnot, uh, one of the episodes was Midsommar or Summer. I just hate saying the name of that movie. <laughs> it was like a, a little like, running joke in that episode where I was like, oh, is this gaslighting? Oh, is this gaslighting? It was just like kind of like a joke. I mean, to be fair, I really didn't. I mean, like, like I knew the definition of gaslighting, but like, I was like, I need to see an example of gaslighting. So how could I really know if it's gaslighting if I don't know? I've never seen it. You know what I mean? But like this, what Kat did, what Kat did to Ethan, I think that was a great example. <laughs> what a great example uh, of gaslighting. And I'm happy Ethan wasn't having any of it, right? And kind of called her out on it. Because like, it, it, it could have gone worse. <laughs> it could have gone worse is what I could say. Uh, but on the character of Kat as a whole, like can she be redeemed? I'd say probably, perhaps, you know, like, like, I think the only way she kind of, like, could be redeemed is if she separates from, like, that group of friends, mainly from Maddie, uh, and really finds herself without their influence. Like, I think more importantly, she would kind of just have to, like, learn to love herself, you know, like, like, truly love herself, because no one can ever love you as much as you love you. So, you know, like, you can never really know what love is until you can show it to yourself, you know, I think if she were to get to that point, then, you know, she would kind of just be considered redeemed, at least in my book, right, and probably be able to get into a solid relationship, I don't know, (laughs) because it's like, you know, if if she then redefines what love is, then you can actually get into a solid relationship, right, because then you know what's good and what's bad, I think that makes sense. <laughs> uh, but like, you know, the reason why I, I say that, that that's like her way to redemption is because like, this is kind of essentially the only way she can overcome the trauma that like made her this way, made her the way she is, right? So like if you like remember her backstory, like, essentially she had her first boyfriend in elementary school, then she went on vacation, put on a bunch of weight, and her boyfriend dumps her because, you know, she was fat now. And so, like, how I see it is in that moment, like, in her head, she made the connection that no one could ever love her because of her weight and how she looks. And thus, she can't love herself because of how she looks. Okay, real quick, pause, enter, beat, whatever you want to say, post-recording John here. So, yeah, at this point, like, if you have turned your volume up because... My voice sounded pretty quiet, or it sounded pretty tinny. Uh, I recommend turn your volume back down, because <laughs> uh, for like the, the last couple things I just recorded, 
I was using the wrong macros to edit the audio, and it just like shrunk the wave for like a bunch. I didn't even really notice it because hearing listening to it back, it like sounded fine. Until listening to all of it together, and I was like, "Oh wait, something's not right here." This is why you don't change your macros. When something works, just let it work. <laughs> okay, that is all. I'm gonna turn like maybe this section down so you can prepare yourself. All right, cool. So yeah, I warned you. Yeah, I'm not supposed to be here right now because I'm dressed like a hooker, and none of you like me. But I just wanted to say congratulations. So Maddie Zork was like definitely an interesting one in my opinion, like, I mean, to start off, she's on my list of, like, characters that I like, right, so now I can explain why I like her, <laughs> or character, at least, uh, like, in a weird way, her arc is essentially the arc that I said Kat needs to go on to be redeemed, like, she's the one that's actually going on that redemption, uh, and I guess in a way, that kind of makes sense, because, like, Cat is essentially just absorbing everything that Maddie is and is doing. But, like, the difference is, like, while Cat's relying on Maddie to make decisions for her, Maddie's making her own decisions, right? It's like Maddie's the source of her change, right? So, like, she essentially makes her own decisions for better or for worse. And so it's easy to not like Maddie because you know, she keeps getting back with Nate, right? And even though, like, we all know that Nate is as toxic as it gets, like, you, you don't get any more toxic <laughs> than that boy Nate Jacobs, right? And, like, to be fair, like, I, I felt that exact same way towards Maddie, like, you know, kind of after season one. So, not that I, I didn't like her because of it, but it was more like a frustration uh, more than anything. Like, like, we can see it, we can see the problem, and we can see how, like, unhealthy it is, but she can't, you know? But then, in season two, I kind of begin to, like, have empathy for her, right? Because, of course, it's easy for us to see that things are bad, you know? Like, I've said it uh, several times, at least at this point, on the podcast. Uh, but, like, it's impossible to see how big a hurricane is while being inside of the hurricane, right? You can only see it from the outside. So, it's easy to say, okay, you're stupid for continuing to go back because you can see it's, it's so obvious how bad this is, but it's like, well, she's in it. So she can't see necessarily how bad it is, if that makes sense. And like, in some ways, you can kind of relate her situation to Rue, right? So like, Nate and their relationship, that was like her drug, right? Like she was addicted to him despite how much she hurt her, right? And so like, it, that's why like, whenever, you know, she got away from him, and I guess you could say, like, you know, in a sense got clean, she would always relapse and go back, right? Because it's like, it's like an addiction, right? She didn't know how she could do life without that. But then, like, in season two, you really start to see some growth there because, you know, she really begins to, like, I don't know, like, value herself more. And, you know, although still having slip-ups, uh, and I guess in this analogy, like, relapses, you know, she's still growing and, and on that road of recovery because those things are part of recovery, which is something that they tell you a lot in rehab. But, you know, more on that later. <laughs> uh, but I think, like, by fully 
being apart from Nate, right? Now she's really on that road to redemption. Hopefully, like, eventually, you know, getting to the point where she realizes that she's a valuable person, you know, worthy of being, like, truly loved and not in a toxic way that she thinks is love. Uh, essentially, like, going down the route that, um, did she even have a name? I don't even remember it. But, like, the mom of the kid she babysits, right? It's so, like, then they, they kind of hinted that with the conversation they had at the end of season two uh, when they were in the pool, where, you know, the mom was telling her, she used to be just like Maddie and, you know, he with the same mindset and saw the world kind of the same way. But then she went through that redemption arc, right? And is now in a loving relationship that, like, she, just like Maddie, didn't think she was capable of having. So when it comes to Cassie, right, to be completely honest, like I did not like her from the jump, kind of like, I mean, in season one, she was more like a side character, so I didn't have much of an opinion on her. But like in season two, her story and character arc, like they're like, there is one of the main ones, right? It was really put on the forefront and thus I have developed my opinions. Uh, and so the reason I can say I don't like her uh, is probably the same reason as to why many other people didn't really like her, which is that she is just so annoying and self-centered. Like, <laughs> like she just simply can't see past uh, her own nose. And like, all that matters is her and how she feels. I and mean, like, I understand like putting yourself first, but like, this is, this is the very unhealthy version uh, of that in a way, right? Like, so she would always just like whine about how she's, you know, whatever she's going through, uh, is just so terrible and the world is going to end but it's just because it's like to her she's the only main character in the world so if things are going bad for her the world is just bad you know and so like when it comes to Cassie like as a character she pretty much just like lives for the validation uh, from guys right and this was kind of hinted at in season one like when Maddie says uh you know, she can't think of a time when Cassie was not in a relationship. And you know, then Cassie kind of realized that herself. And that kind of sparks her on what could have been a transformative journey to actually, like, grow as a person and begin to find love from within and not seek it out in guys. But then all of that essentially goes down the drain <laughs> with the whole Nate situation. And, like, you see how quickly, you know, she's willing to change herself to get Nate's validation, right? Like doing everything she can to become, you know, exactly what, you know, she thinks is, you know, what he wants, right? And, you know, what, essentially to, to, to get, like I said, his validation, right? And then eventually she gets him. So I guess you say it worked for her, I guess. And you know, there's also like that scene when, um, you know, she was telling him like, you know, she wants to do whatever he tells her to do and wear what he tells her to wear and go where he tells her to go and only talk to people that like, he allows her to talk to. And like essentially what that boils down to is I will do whatever it takes to please you so you don't leave, you know? And like this mindset kind of stems from her trauma as a kid because, you know, her backstory was like, you know, when she was younger, dad walked out in the family becoming a drug addict uh, and, you know, that whole situation essentially kind of like guard Cassie in a way where 
now she's willing to do whatever a guy wants so that way he'll always love her and won't leave her too. You know, so like to her, literally the worst thing that could possibly happen is like just that, like like someone walking out on you and leaving you, right? And like this was made very evident and clear like, like that that was her mindset uh, when she's in that argument with her mom. You know, her mom tells her not to talk bad about Rue because she had a very hard life. And Cassie responds with, as if our life, you know, since he hasn't been worse than hers, right? Her dad is dead. Ours walked out on us. And so, like, to, to a normal person, at least from my point of view, to a normal person, that line is absolutely absurd. Like, I don't think you can equate that. <laughs> but, like, this explicitly shows why Cassie is the way she is. Right. Because like to her, Rue's dad left because of circumstances. Right. And he loved Rue all the way until that point, until his death. But Cassie's dad chose to leave and in her eyes essentially chose to stop loving her. So it was like now she's willing to do whatever it takes to make sure it doesn't happen again. So Lexi was definitely, in my opinion, one of the best characters in season two. Right? And like with her being the sister to Cassie, like I'm not to retell the whole backstory because I already said it when talking about Cassie. But I guess now it's just gonna make this section pretty short, which feels weird because I said she's one of the best characters and I'll say the least stuff about it, but I already talked about it, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but yeah, obviously went through the same stuff that Cassie did because their sisters, dad left, uh, whatever. But her reaction to the trauma was very different, right? It's like out of all the characters in the show, like she was the only one who had a positive reaction to their childhood hurt, right? Like kind of channeling it into something beautiful that could like, you know, speak to others. And, you know, that being her play at the end of season two. And unlike Cassie, she didn't take her dad leaving as like a slight against her, at least in the end, I guess. <laughs> but instead kind of come to realization that like people make their own decisions for their own reasons. And in the end, there's really nothing you can do about that, right? And so kind of in that sense, instead of relinquishing control of herself, she kind of gained control of herself, right? Deciding to, you know, make her own decisions. And, you know, Fezco definitely helped out with that. Uh, Cause like when it came to the play, you know, she was worried about like hurting people's feelings uh, based off of what the play was about. And Fez told her, sometimes people's feeling needs to get hurt. Oh my God, I said that's so whack. I think I put the S's on all the types of wrong words. Fezco said, <laughs> people's feelings need to get hurt sometimes. Sometimes it was at the beginning, but whatever. You get the point. <laughs> Essentially, what he's saying is, like, don't worry about how everyone else reacts. Like, worry about doing what you think uh, is right. Right? And the way people feel or react is, like, it's completely out of our control. Right? And although that, you know, that can be taken as frightening, I kind of see that more as liberating. Because accepting that fact... You know, except in the fact that it's, it is out of our control, 
allows us to essentially be who we really are because now we're no longer chasing the approval of others, right? It's like, I think Lexi's arc in season two definitely shows that and like shows the result of that. And it, it was just awesome. It was awesome in so many ways because that play, oh boy. I mean, the play was great, right? I like the play was great, but what happened at the play... <laughs> That was that was peak. You know what's funny? Oh my goodness! That whole thing, because of when this episode's gonna come out, because I'm recording this this Monday, it'll come out tomorrow. So you already know about this. <laughs> that the stuff that happened at the play with like uh, at Lexi's play or whatever definitely feels very similar to what happened at. Was that the Grammys or the Oscars? It's Oscars. The Oscars was that Oscars? Whatever. When freaking, uh, oh my God, what's his name, bro? How did I just forget his name? Will Smith slaps Chris Rock. Like, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me that ain't it. <laughs> they say action. No, wait. They say art. No, life imitates art. There we go. <laughs> it was a joke. You So, when it comes to Jules, right, like, I'm very torn, kind of my opinion on her. Because, like, like, I've heard, like, differing opinions on her and, like, the reasoning behind those opinions. But, to me, it, it still really isn't just, like, an open and shut case. Because, like, I was talking, uh, like, about it with a co-worker. And she was saying she didn't like Jules because of, you know, how she treated Rue, especially in season one. Like, essentially gaslighting Rue the entire time. For example, like, um, like when Rue asked if Jules loved that girl she had met, uh, when she went on the trip, and Jules said yes, but then she also said yes when Rue asked if she loved her. So, you know, she gave, she gave, uh, like a couple more examples of, you know, kind of how Jules was, like, messing or how she would mess with Rue's head a lot of the time. And then, to be honest, like, I never really saw it that way. And this, this is the, the, the wonderful power of perspective. Because, I mean, when she explained it, you know, her reasoning, like, it did make sense, right? It made sense as to why she wouldn't like Jules because of that. And I, and I saw where she was coming from because, like, I just simply didn't see it like that. And then I just putting it all in perspective, I was like, oh, that, that actually kind of makes sense. Uh, but, like, my sister said, like, she didn't like Jules because of like, the whole thing that happened with Elliot. Uh, and not the, like, the, the intervention thing, but, but before that, when Jules was essentially cheating on Rue with him. Uh, and, like, this one, this one I definitely, like, I felt that while watching this show. Because it really bugged me that, like, that, that she did that. Not just because, not like, just because she cheated, but because, like, literally, in the beginning, she said that she didn't like Elliot because... She essentially felt like he was going to steal Rue away from her. But then she says all of that and then she goes and does to Rue exactly what she was afraid Rue would do to her. And that's kind of low down in my book. You know what I'm saying? It's a little, a little bit, a little bit grimy, right? But the reason why like, I still feel torn about her as a character is because she did tell Rue's, bleh, Rue's mom uh, about like Rue still using drugs. Right now, that's like still kind of like Elliot, but you know, he told her that being Elliot, Elliot told Jules, and then she took the information 
to the right person instead of like not taking any action. Right. And Rue even said it herself, although like she said it to Elliot, but I think it, you know, kind of extends to Jules as well, which is that like them snitching literally saved her life. Right. And as someone who's gone through that, I couldn't agree more with that statement and that whole situation, because like when you're in that hole of like addiction, it's practically impossible to pull yourself out on your own. But when you like when you, the deeper you go, the more impossible it gets. Right. And so, like, most of the time, you don't even want to get out of the hole, right? It's just easier to stay down there. And so it requires a person who's not willing to let you stay down there to do what it takes to pull you up, right? No matter how hard you, like, kick them and scratch them while they're doing it, right? So it takes a person who really cares about you and, like, doesn't want to see you die in that hole. And in the end, Jules was essentially that for Rue. They hurt you. No, no, no. You're not going to press charges because if you do, I'm going to jail for a lot longer. Depending on what I give you. So, every story needs a villain, right? And to have a good story, you got to have a good villain. And the villain of Euphoria is obviously Nate, right? Like, you're not supposed to like Nate. Like, he's literally written that way. <laughs> you know, but uh, like, I, I think... I kind of think Nate as a character served like a different purpose besides just being the villain and, you know, like just being the character that you're not supposed to like. Because, like, just like you might know, you know, someone who is like any of the characters, any of the other characters, uh, you might know, like, someone like that in real life, you might see someone you know in some of those characters, you might probably also know a real life Nate. You know, although hopefully, you know, they, they aren't as extreme as he is. That would be terrible, which I guess in a sense, I would kind of hope any person that you see in any of these characters is not as extreme as those characters. <laughs> but like, you know, you just like all the other characters, the way Nate is, is like, this is, it's his way of reacting to the trauma he had as a kid, right? Although that doesn't excuse any of his actions, which, once again, I could also say about all the other characters as well, but Nate's reaction to trauma was to lash out on other people, right? It's kind of like that saying, it's like, uh, like bullies are usually people who have been bullied. Essentially, you know, these kinds of people, they don't deal with their hurt, but instead relieve themselves of the hurt by passing it on to other people. And, you know, that's pretty much Nate in a nutshell, right? And, like, like I could see... Like a lot of very much younger John in the character of Nate, like not like a literal level, of course, because like that that's insanity, but like on an emotional level, right? Like being in a situation where you were never given the space to like process your feelings, and you know, seemingly being told that you know, it's just like you're a man, you, you shouldn't feel like that, or like that's not uh, the manly thing to do. It's like talk about your feelings and whatnot, and like. You know, as a boy, whether we want to admit it or not, like, we kind of chase that, not to say validation, but like the idea of being considered a man. And you try to, you, you seek that in just several different ways. A lot of times, like, first from your dad, wanting to, you know, be called a man, essentially. But, like, not having emotions isn't, like, it's, it's not being a man, Right? Although, 
you in a lot of situations you kind of get taught that right and so essentially it's like you have to you almost like you feel like you've had to be a robot you know where you don't actually process emotions you just kind of put them away and it's kind of hard. it's kind of like I don't know, stay inside. You don't have to let it out, or exp- you don't have that room to express it. And the fact of the matter is, humans aren't made to harbor unprocessed emotions, right? Because the thing is, they never go away until they are processed, right? So when you just keep them inside and you don't actually like go through that process of dealing with it, they just keep building up and building up and building up and building up until eventually you just break, right? And it was since Nate didn't really have that room to get how he felt on the inside out, he dealt with it by passing it on to other people, right? And chased the validation of being a man by what a man was, you know, by his definition, right? So he saw his dad as like being a man, right? And the reason why his dad was a man was because of his achievements and like the power that he held. And so Nate essentially was striving for those exact same things, right? And so that's where you can see, you know, when Nate's ever in a position of feeling powerless, he lashes out because it's essentially calling into question his manhood. And that's the only thing that he actually values, right? Essentially, if he's not the man, then what is he? And, you know, with, with all that being said, he's still a dick, why don't you go fuck yourself? How can you speak to someone like that? Who? But don't be a smart ass. Did I offend you? Apologize right now. In retrospect, that was a little crazy. And finally, we have Rue, right? And while I said, you know, I could see a lot of like much younger John and Nate, I saw just a few years ago John <laughs> in Rue. Like, there's like a lot of like my story that was kind of like in Rue's story, right? Which if you don't know about like, I guess my story, you can kind of go back in the podcast. So my very ever first creative mini series, which was The Legend of Addiction, that kind of just like goes through most of it, much of it, whatever. Uh, like when I say there's like a lot of my story in there, like I really mean like a lot of it. You know what I mean? Like from the OD was then landed her in rehab, which is like exactly what I went through, to then coming out and pretty much immediately relapsing, which is exactly what I did. And, you know, like hitting rock bottom again and like deciding you were actually going to get clean this time and kind of doing it. And then you're going to get hit with some more hardships, but then lands you back in the midst uh, of your addiction. At this time, even a little bit worse than it was before, you know? And like, in season one, when she was talking about ways to beat a drug test, those were all things that I've done before, you know, and lying about going to NA meetings and instead doing drugs, been there, done that, verbally attacking your family, you know, even though they're trying their best to help you, regretfully, I can say that I relate to that, you know, it's like with all of that, like watching Rue's arc throughout this show kind of just hit different for me, right? Because it was almost like watching my own character arc, like in real life, uh, in a way. Like, like almost like a, like a exaggerated version of <laughs> my life experience, you know? It's like, in no way am I going to like try and justify 
any of Rue's actions because I can't even justify my own actions. You know, because like addiction isn't like a one person situation, right? It's it's a pretty much like a raging storm that affects everyone that's around you, right? You see it with Rue's sister Gia, uh, like she was really going through it, having to see her sister, uh, you know, who's someone who's someone she really looks up to, willingly kill herself slowly. Right. And not being able to do anything about it. And then also not being able to uh, ex- express how she's feeling because her sister's problems took priority. Right. And then you see uh, the external effects on Rue's mom, who, you know, had to watch her husband die and there's nothing she could do about it. And is now watching her daughter die. And at times there's nothing she can do about it, you know. And I, and I kind of feel like that's why her mom was the way she was, like not out of anger but more out of fear, right? Like the the fear of not being able to help someone that you love. But, you know, she wasn't willing to accept that this time, right? And instead kind of gave her all in fighting on Rue's behalf. Because like, the, the thing about addiction from like, at least the perspective of an addict is like, it seemingly solves the problems you have, like all of your problems, right? And I say seemingly, because like, it doesn't actually solve the problem, but it helps you ignore the problem, which just kind of pushes the problem down the road. And then, of course, it all begins to add up. And, you know, the addiction itself is then adding more problems on top of the problems you're already pushing down the road. So then you, you get into the situation where now you've been using to dodge a few problems and now you can't stop using because if you do, you have to deal with this massive pile of problems that have you know just all piled up. And like a big one of those problems, and this is kind of one that like the addiction adds on to your other life problems, is the withdrawals, right? Like sometimes you don't quit using, not because you don't want to, but because you've come to the conclusion that the withdrawals you'll go through will be worse than anything that could happen if you just continue to use. Right, thus adding another problem to that big pile of problems that you keep pushing further and further down the road, you know? And there's a, there's you get kind of to that case of like finally getting clean and then you relapse, right? And, and it's generally easy for someone who's like on the outside to kind of be confused by that, right? Kind of asking the question like, okay, if you know or if you know where you were uh, and, and how bad things got and how hard things became and what you went through, why would you willingly go back to that? You know, this being a question that, you know, I've heard uh, a fair bit, you know, and this is why they say in rehab that relapse is a part of recovery because it takes time to be able to like retrain yourself or kind of train yourself for the first time to react differently to problems, Right. Especially when for so long you've had a quick and easy solution to all of your problems, you know, and in the moments leading up to a relapse, like when your brain is screaming for you to use again, you don't think about the OD, right? You don't think about being away from your family for three months at a rehab center. You don't think about all the weight you lost and how unhealthy you became. Like the only memories your brain offers up is how good it felt to escape from your problems. You know, and you think of how easy it was to go through life without having to actually interact with life, right? Like it's it's a struggle like no other to force yourself to remember the bad. 
It's something that really takes time to get to. And the, the truth about recovery, honestly, it's a choice, you know, and this isn't just only about drugs, but like in relation to all of the characters I've talked about and all of their ways with dealing with trauma and hurt, right? They all need recovery, just recovery from different things, you know, and then the road of recovery is not one that you can be pushed down. Like you have to choose to walk that road. And it's, it's, it's not a one-time choice either. Like it's a decision you have to make every single day because on a personal level, I've been clean now going on a year and a half ish. And so like do cravings still come up? Yeah, they do. I wish that they didn't. And I wish I could say that they don't, but they do and probably always will. And each time they do come up, I'm faced with the choice of choosing to go back or to keep moving forward. And sometimes, some days, that choice is pretty easy to make. And some days, that choice is the hardest choice I have to make, you know? So, you know, recovery from anything, it's not easy. It's not an easy task. And, you know, like, like I'm, I'm not a therapist or a psychologist, but, you know, as, as someone who's been through it, going through it, getting better, I guess. <laughs> you know, all I can really offer up is what has helped me. And, you know, in order to keep making that choice to keep moving forward, you got to give yourself a reason, you know, and it can't just be like a superficial reason, like getting better for the sake of somebody else. That's not going to help you, right? You have to want to get better for yourself. Like one thing I always say in rehab is you have to want to want to get clean. No one else can want that for you, right? But once you've made that decision and you've, you know, given yourself that reason, you can't let it go. And you have to remember, you know, that reason whenever you want to go back. And also you have to understand that no matter the outcome of your decision, the decision is yours and yours alone. enjoyed this episode if you know the podcast give it a like give it a follow rating, all that good just let me know that yeah like of course you do like it share it with your friends because good friends give friends good things and you want to be a good friend so give your friend a good thing if you want to on social media it is at god hat on the igs and as always don't forget to stay hella hydrating plenty of water this this was this upcoming wednesday it's tomorrow when you hear this uh pq coming out I'm still committing to doing uh, the live bonus PQ episode on, on hindsight on wisdom uh, in the evening. Uh, shoot for like five ish PM Eastern Standard Time. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed this episode. This was fun. This was great. It was a great show. I enjoyed watching it. Season two was much better. Than season one, like I thought, season one was pretty good. 
until I watched season two, and I was like, oh, jeez, wow. Season one was, uh, nothing happened. <laughs> but season two, that was a interesting one. It's an interesting show. Uh, and doing this type of, you know, kind of introspect, not introspect, but everyone, retrospective, whatever, a little more on the creative side, kind of review of the show was fun and enjoyable because a lot you can pull out of this show. Uh, so, yeah. Also, sorry for the whole audio thing in the first chunk. Uh, what had happened was I added some noise reduction to my editing macro. And I did not realize that each time I wanted to do, like, run the noise reduction filter, I had to get a sound profile of the noise that I wanted to reduce. Uh, and so I was just reusing the same sound profile, but each recording clip is different. <laughs> so then it just, like, it, it just made things weird. Uh, and then I fixed it. But the first half just sounds wacky, and I can't go back and fix it. Cause I can't. Well, I guess I could re-record it, but then it won't be the same. You know, it's not. It's not authentic to be recorded. So, apologies for that. But hey, you live and you learn. Trying new stuff. Trying to make sure the audio sounds as crispy as always. But with that, hope you have an absolutely amazing day. I will see you tomorrow. Have a good one.